Welcome to another Growth Masters Federal podcast on growing your business in the federal sector. Your host is Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing comprehensive data-driven business development playbooks. Set-aside programs for service-disabled, veteran-owned small businesses provide competitive advantages in obtaining federal contracts to those who qualify. However, the dual agency umbrella of the Veterans Administration and the Small Business Administration under which these programs are administered has evolved into a complex, often contradictory quagmire of regulations that have frustrated and often harmed these typically small entrepreneurial businesses. Although consolidated in October of last year, many of the new regulations remain confusing and ambiguous, which can spell real trouble for SDVOSB owners, investors, workers in their families, their heirs, and their legacy. Attorney Ed Delisle, Shirley's guest for today's discussion, brings years of experience in this highly specialized field to a timely and important topic. And now here's your host, Shirley Collier, with her guest, Ed Delisle. Enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone, Shirley here. My special guest today is Ed Delisle. Ed is the principal and chair of the government contract group at Offit Kerman, an East Coast law firm with over 170 attorneys offering a comprehensive range of services in virtually every legal category among their 12 offices. Welcome, Ed. Thank you, Shirley. Ed, before we get into today's topic, please tell our listeners a little more about your government contracting practice. Sure. My government contracting practice includes work at each stop along the contracting life cycle. For companies eager for an award of a federal contract, I'm often asked to assist with understanding what an agency is seeking as part of a procurement. Sometimes I'll assist with redline reviews of proposals. Protests are also very common in the world of government contracting, and I've been involved in many of those over the years. I've represented both disappointed bidders and interveners who are attempting to protect an award. I do a lot of work representing small businesses and small disadvantaged businesses, which can lead to special types of protests involving the size and status of an awardee. I get involved in those all the time. I also assist companies in understanding contractual responsibilities post-award. If there's a disagreement about scope of work or schedule or adherence to a regulatory provision of some type, I'll assist companies in dealing with those issues and, if necessary, submitting requests for equitable adjustment or claims to the government for consideration. Sometimes those disputes cannot be resolved during the normal course of business, and I'll help companies through the litigation process as well. That's certainly a last resort, but it's an unfortunate aspect of doing business. Yes, it is. Sometimes you have to go into litigation. You do. Sometimes the parties to a contract just don't see eye-to-eye, which is true whether you're operating in the private or the public marketplace. Yes. I also act as general counsel for many of the companies that I represent. Since a lot of these companies tend to be on the smaller side, they don't have in-house counsel, so they call me when it comes to tricky procurement or regulatory issues. We're going to be discussing changes to the SDVOSB and VOSB regulations today, and I get calls like that all the time which sometimes will include how the sale of a business will impact its status, whether it be an SDVOSB or some other type of disadvantaged business. So it's a fairly wide-ranging practice, and it's very interesting as things always seem to be changing. Well, that's quite a lot, Ed. (laughs) And you're right that the, the government is constantly changing things. 
Today's topic is about the new SDVOSB and VOSB regulations that were directed in the 2017 NDAA, but finally put into practice just a couple of months ago on October 1st of 2018. So what was the reason behind this new regulation? Well, surely, frankly, it was to stop the madness. And we're primarily talking about SDVOSBs uh, here. Over the course of time, a dual system for eligibility developed, which did nothing but cause a whole lot of confusion amongst those trying to understand the rules. And again, this is mainly as it pertains to service-disabled, veteran-owned, small business eligibility. Uh, Following the passage of the Veterans Benefits Act of 2006, which was implemented through what became known as the Veterans First Program, the Department of Veterans Affairs began this process of verifying eligibility for SDVOSBs and VOSBs for its work. That is the VA's work. The idea was to make more contracting opportunities available for veterans and service-disabled veterans through the VA, which, of course, sounds like a fine idea, and it's one that I fully supported at the time, and I still do. Prior to the Benefits Act, the SBA had sole jurisdiction over the eligibility requirements for companies like that. Suddenly, you had these two agencies involved, right? So the, the VA governed eligibility of SDVOSBs and VOSBs for VA contracting opportunities, and the SBA governed eligibility requirements for the same companies with respect to all other contracting opportunities. In that situation, it, it turned out to be bad. Why? Because different eligibility interpretations evolved. So you could be compliant under the VA's regulatory scheme, but non-compliant under the SBA's. That's not good. Finally, as part of the NDAA of 2017, Congress got fed up and told the VA and the SBA to get on the same page and to fix it. Well, hopefully they have. (laughs) They have, in fact, fixed it. So let's examine a few of the provisions, starting with the SBA's final rule regarding unconditional ownership and control. Sure. Uh, First, it's important to note that the new consolidated set of regulations are part of the SBA's regulatory scheme. The VA's eligibility regulations have been rescinded. So you'll need to consult 13 CFR for details regarding what we're going to be talking about today. So let's discuss ownership. Uh, The general requirement is that to be considered an eligible SDVOSB, a company must be unconditionally and directly owned by one or more service-disabled veterans, and the SDVOSB owner or owners must own a majority interest in the company. That's not controversial or different from either what one would expect or from the former sets of rules that we have been dealing with up until this point. Beyond this general definition, however, what the consolidated regulations do is take from each of the old sets of regulations. So, for example, the consolidated ownership requirements cover entitlement to profits. An SDVOSB owner must receive at least 51% of the profits generated by the company, regardless of what type of company it is, and profits must be commensurate with the extent of the SDVO's ownership interest. So if instead of owning 51% of a concern, the SDVO actually owns 60%, then 60% of the profits must go to the SDVO. These provisions were adopted right out of the old VA rules. They didn't appear in the old SBA rules. Uh, You don't have really anything new, per se, in the consolidated set of rules as it pertains to ownership. Rather, you have picking and choosing from what was formally codified under the old set of rules. So 
if I understand you correctly, Ed, the SDVO must receive profits equal to their ownership interest, but no less than 51%. Is that correct? That is correct. And do those profits have to be distributed annually to the owners, or can they stay in their respective equity accounts? Uh, That's really up to the SDVO, uh, right? So he or she or they, if there are multiple SDVOs that own a particular company, if they wish to keep those profits in their respective equity accounts, that's their prerogative. They simply must have a right to those monies. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, So how are things different regarding control? Well, things are a little different regarding control in that there are a few new ideas injected into the consolidated scheme. So the general rule is that an owner of a company like this must unconditionally control the management and daily business operations of the company. There's nothing new or controversial there. The SDVO owners have to act like one would expect owners to act and have the ability to exert appropriate control as they see fit. To that end, the consolidated regulations require that an owner control the board of directors of the company. Control the board or report to the board? I mean, suppose a a company has a board that has an independent chair. Well, an SDVOSB must be owned and controlled by SDVOs. The regulations are very specific about that. If an independent chair is involved, that would be problematic unless the independent chair was also an SDV, a service-disabled veteran. Under those circumstances, it could work, but you need to be careful. Uh, The consolidated regulations specifically talk about instances that are deemed problematic from the perspective of control. So under the consolidated version of the regulations, if the owner of an SDVOSB is not the highest compensated person and a non-service disabled veteran is, it's likely to be determined that the company is controlled by someone other than the SDV. That was actually pulled directly from the VA's old set of regulations. It didn't appear in the SBA's prior version. So, Ed, I had uh, an SDVOSB client that actually paid a senior business development guy more than he was paying himself as president. Um, and sometimes that's just market conditions, especially for a small business that wants to grow. They will hire someone very senior to help them with business development. In that, that particular case, the BD guy owned no stock and made no executive decisions, So are you saying that this would disqualify them from uh, being an SDVOSB under the new regulations? Well, not necessarily. I've been involved in similar situations with clients of mine, and it happens oftentimes with companies that are uh, relatively new and they're trying to to move uh, forward with this new concern, and you you need uh, high-paying individuals in place in order to get to where you want to go. There's not necessarily a disqualifier there. It simply raises a red flag that must be addressed at the time of verification review. So that means that the company needs to be ready to explain the scenario that the SDVO is, in fact, managing and controlling the company, regardless of the compensation being offered to the other individual. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. We need to take a break um, here, Ed. My guest today is Ed Delisle, President and Chair of the Government Contract Group at Offit Kerman. When we return, we will discuss additional new regulations affecting veteran-owned businesses, including restrictions on co-locating with another business. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Today's discussion is brought to you by Scale to Market, and your host is Shirley Collier. Utilizing the proprietary Davy Business Development Growth Framework, Scale to Market partners with business owners and executives to help their companies achieve productive and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email Shirley at scollier at scaletomarket.com to obtain your copy of the Davy Framework. Growthmasters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The mission is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. And now back to our podcast on the new regulations governing service-disabled, veteran-owned small businesses, featuring Ed Delisle, Principal and Chair of the Government Contracts Practice Group at Offit Kerman, a premier mid-Atlantic legal services provider with 12 offices and over 170 attorneys. Welcome back. Ed, many small businesses share facilities with other businesses. Explain the new restrictions on this practice related to certification. Sure. The new regulations talk about co-locating with another business. If a company seeking SDVOSB status is operating out of the same facility as another business that is owned by a co-owner of the SDVOSB, and that co-owner is not a service-disabled veteran, and the two companies end up co-locating and they're in the same line of business, then that will likely result in a finding that the company is controlled by the non-service-disabled veteran owner. Let me make sure I understand this. Are you saying that two, yeah, two companies, one is an SDVOSB and one is not, and if they have common ownership and they're in the same line of business, uh, but they happen to be operating in the same facility, then that SDVOSB would not be eligible for certification simply because of its location? Well, I can tell you this, it would be a problem. Issues like that have always been problematic under the SBA's affiliation rules. Uh, And in the consolidated set of regulations that we're talking about here, it's spelled out as being problematic in this context as well. So you have to be aware of it, and it's specifically discussed in the new consolidated uh, regulations. And if you're uh, an SDV owner of a company seeking eligibility under the new program, but you can't work for the company during normal business uh, hours, that could be problematic. How can you control the business if you're not there during normal business hours? I mean, that's, that's the idea that's being raised as part of the new set of regulations. And let me mention another one that's brand new. So this one was neither uh, a part of the VA nor the SBA's prior regulations. If an SDV owner does not live within a reasonable commute to the firm's headquarters and or job site locations, it is presumed that he or she does not control the company. That presumption is rebuttable but it's something to keep in mind under the new set of rules. What? (laughs) With things like telecommuting and the ability to hop on a flight, how will the government define reasonable commute? And job site locations can be many times scattered across the country. It seems like this would be hard to regulate. And virtual companies can be very viable, successful business models. I agree. This one's a real head-scratcher. There were a lot of eyebrows raised over this provision when the proposed rules were uh, issued, but it's in there. 
Uh, I do a lot of work with construction contractors who do work for the federal government, and they have job sites all over the country. You can imagine their reaction. I'm certain that this is going to be a bone of contention moving forward, depending upon how, in fact, it's interpreted. There's one other thing while I'm thinking of it that I'd like to mention. The, the new regulations introduce this concept that everyone who's interested in, in the new process must understand. The regulations discuss five very specific extraordinary circumstances, and that's what they're called, which will not result in a finding of control by a, by a non-service disabled veteran owner. In the event that the governing documents for an SDVUSB allows for non-SDV circumvention regarding any of these issues, it will not be deemed problematic. There are five of them, and here they are. Number one, adding a new equity partner. Two, dissolution of the company. Three, sale of the company. Four, a merger. Or five, a uh, declaration of bankruptcy. The thinking here is to allow a non-SDV owner the ability to protect its investment in a company that is otherwise completely controlled uh, by the majority owner who is a service-disabled veteran. It's meant to encourage investment. That's the point of it. Now, this is a very short list, so it's not really much, but it does level the playing field a little bit uh, in favor of non-SDV owners. I would agree with that. So, Ed, tell us about the modified ownership requirements related to surviving spouses. Sure. So this is for SDVOSBs only, and it was actually a part of the old VA regulations, not the old SBA regulations, which in and of itself created a a huge um, uh, set of issues for folks that were operating under this dual system that's existed for a number of years. So under the new rules, just like the old VA rules, a surviving spouse of an SDV can qualify as an SDVOSB owner. The problem is that the circumstances are very limited. The veteran must have either had a 100% service-related disability or have died as a result of his or her service-related disability. Hmm. Well, that doesn't seem to help very much. What happens to the families of the SDV who are dependent upon the company for their livelihood? I mean, suppose there's not a spouse, but an adult child who is working in the business or otherwise dependent upon that business. Uh, Yeah, it's a very limited exception to the rule, and it says what it says. If you're an adult child, you're not covered under this particular provision, and you should make sure that you plan for that. Meaning how, how to... How how can a company plan for, uh, if there's the death of an SDVO, what should they have in place? Well, what uh, what, what you should do is you should begin thinking about, as early as possible, succession planning. That succession planning may not include carrying on as a business concern as an SDVOSB. One example might be, move the company if it's not already in a, in a hub zone location to a hub zone so you could take advantage potentially of the advantages of being a hub zone if you cannot any longer take advantage of SDVOSB status uh, if the service-disabled veteran or veterans who are running that business are suddenly no longer around. The, um, the small business world in terms of buying and selling is a very hot market these days, too. So from a business planning standpoint, that's another thing to keep in mind as you look down the road. Now, certain things can't be, uh, you know, can't be understood or, or dealt with uh, ahead of time something suddenly happens, but you want to keep it in mind and plan as far ahead as you possibly can. And possibly having, like, key man insurance to, to help kind of bridge that gap. 
Absolutely. That's a, that's a great idea. That's right. Uh, but in any case, that business could continue as a small business. It just would not be a service-disabled small business. And, and that's exactly right, yes. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you understand what your options are way in advance. And from a succession planning standpoint, know what direction you're going in uh, if something should happen. So, Ed, let's go back to the, an overall look at these regulations. What do these new rules mean to SDVOSBs and VOSBs? Well, first and foremost, it means that everyone is operating under one set of rules. So that's a good thing. There will no longer be any fear in being eligible for the VA's program, for example, but not the, a, a program run by the SBA, which uh, was really the big problem leading up to this point. There's just one set of rules. That, that said, at least for now, there are still two programs. If you want to pursue VA work, you need to be verified by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The SBA's system is and will remain to be self-certifying, again, at least for now, so you simply need to go into SAM and identify yourself as an SDVOSB or a VOSB, assuming you meet those criteria. And uh, with respect to everybody other than the VA, you are an SDVOSB or a VOSB unless uh, it's determined otherwise. Now, this all could change. About a month ago, the House Small Business Committee introduced a bill that would eliminate self-certification for SDVOSBs as part of the SBA's program. Uh, under what's been called the VA-SBA Act, all SDVOSBs would have to go through the VA's current verification process in order to be eligible as an SDVOSB for any federal work. Now, the bill has only recently gotten out of committee, so it's hard to know whether it'll sail all the way through and get signed into law, but everyone should know that the bill is out there. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if it eventually does become law. Unlike other issues, uh, we know how Washington works, especially these days, when it comes to small business, there tends to be a bit more cooperation across party lines, so everyone should be aware of this issue. Yes, that's a very good advice. So, Ed, as we wrap up our discussion about these rules, what advice would you give to veterans who are certified or are seeking certification? Uh, sure. Well, you need to consult with someone. Uh, this is all new stuff. The federal space is complicated as it is, and the small business world within that space is really a specialty within a specialty. Talk to someone who understands the rules. If you do that, you're going to end up saving a whole lot of time and, uh, frankly, a whole lot of money. Yep, I would agree. Ed, thank you so much today for your knowledge and your wisdom related to these important new regulations. All veteran-owned businesses need to be aware of and make appropriate executive decisions to either obtain or to maintain their certification status. Thank you, Shirley. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and to all of your listeners. So, folks, if you want to get in touch with Ed, he can be reached at eddelisle at offitkerman.com. That's E-D-E-L-I-S-L-E at O-F-F-I-T-K-U-R-M-A-N.com. Or you can contact us here at Skelter Market, and we'll make sure you're connected. Thank you for listening today. This is Shirley Collier signing off for now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, visit our website at scaletomarket.com. That's scaled2market.com. And subscribe to the Growth Masters Federal Channel on iTunes, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our webinar series on the Scale to Market website 
Join us again soon for another informative Growth Masters Federal podcast, and be sure to have a great day. 